0: Welcome back to the Relational Grace Podcast, where we feature the teachings of Pastor Nick Harris, who taught us that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. I'm Jamie Russell, Pastor Harris's son, and with the beginning of the new year, we're diving back into the Essentials of the Faith collection. As a reminder, the Essentials of the Faith teachings have no specific order. So for those that are new to this collection of messages, you can listen to them in whatever order you like. This message will address the faith essential of forgiveness. In past Essentials of the Faith messages, we've talked about things like sanctification, justification, the second birth, and all the elementary things that surround those topics. Pastor Harris has discussed a lot of big words like propitiation and redemption and justification. The last one of these we talked about was justification, which is related to propitiation. Now we will talk about forgiveness, which is related to redemption. Those two things belong together, so you have to consider them in their specific category. This message had a great introduction by Michael Bishop, the son of dad's dear friend, Brian Bishop. I thought it was great how Michael addressed how often they talked about football there at Ariel Chapel that he attended. And I have to say that it does apply to dad's messages in general. Dad simply loved football. He loved telling stories related to football. On a side note, I think dad would have loved Michael's illustration he gave over 10 years ago now, mentioning OU's defensive coach, Brent Venables, who ended up leaving OU to go to win several national championships at Clemson, and just last month has returned to OU to be their head coach. Also in this message, you'll hear Pastor Harris address a man by the name of Joe in the congregation. I'm sure it was all Dad could do to contain himself knowing that Joe, Silver Shoes Washington, a Sooner football legend, was in attendance that day. Now I hope you all enjoy the first Now I hope you all enjoy the first episode of 2022 and getting back to the essentials of the faith messages as pastor Harris brings us what he oddly refers to as that sweet poo poo about forgiveness. So with that, I give you this message simply titled forgiveness. We talk a lot
1: about football here in this church and uh, I'm not going where you think I'm going. I promise you. And I think it's because, pastor played football, and I watch an unhealthy amount of football. And so we relate to it. It's just something we talk about here. And I was having a conversation with one of our defensive ends this past week in class. And I said, well, what's what's it really like? What's it like to be more of an athlete student, you know, to really have a job? And he said, oh, you don't understand. Brent Venables, Venables, he's just a taskmaster. He's... He's crazy. The worst part about Brent Venables is he knows when you're three feet from where you were supposed to be, just a couple inches off, he knows that you were in the wrong place, and you've sinned against his defense. (laughs) And he said, and even worse than that, even worse than that, is that they catch these games on film, and so we watch film of ourselves doing things wrong, and he'll just back it up and say, look at that. And then I'll back it up and I'll say, look at that. I'll do it two or three times so that it really gets in your head. And I was just thinking to myself this morning before I was I was uh, going to give this, this introduction, boy, isn't it great that God doesn't go back and say, boy, look at that conversation. <laughs> you hurt somebody there. What were you thinking? That's wonderful. And in fact, he throws away the tapes. He completely, completely forgets about them. Well, thank you. Now, I'll go by your script. The good news of the gospel is, of course, that we have all been forgiven. We were forgiven by what Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago. When he died for us, God forgave us. The question is, of course, how many sins did he forgive? And it was past, present, and future. So, the very simple answer is all of them. But the real issue is this. Will we forgive ourselves? Many of us continue to wallow in our own sins, even though God has forgiven them long ago. However, there is even better news than this. The truth is, God has not only forgiven us, but He has also forgotten that our sins ever occurred. Because Hebrew ten seventeen says, "Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more." Therefore, He has not only forgiven us, but He has chosen to forget all the sinful things that we have done. So, because of the death of Christ on the cross, He has forgotten all about our even deeds, and so should we. So let's put it this way. Forgiveness is one of the results of Christ's redemptive work on the cross. Our debt of sin was canceled out by this redemptive work, making it possible for God to totally forgive all our sins, past, present, and future. So our sermon for today will focus on what it means to be forgiven by God.
2: Well, as Michael told us then, our theme for today is Forgiveness. And forgiveness is one of the most important results of Christ's redemptive work on the cross. Now, here's the bottom line. Let me give you the bottom line for this. There on the cross, our debt of sin was canceled by Christ's redemptive work, making it possible for God to totally forgive all of our sins. Have you made mistakes in your life? Have you done things you're ashamed of? Well, the good news is God forgives them all because of Christ. Not because of you. You don't deserve forgiveness, but Christ deserves it for you. In fact, in one of the great New Testament verses found in Colossians 2.13, the Apostle Paul establishes the extent of God's forgiveness. He writes this to the believers in the church at Colossae. He said, "When And when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our sins. Now, beloved, I want you to notice that Paul emphasizes three things in this great verse. Look at it again. I want you to pay careful attention. He says, And when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our sins. So, here are the three things I want you to look at. In the first place, Paul says, that at one time in our life, we were all dead in our sins. Now, he meant spiritually dead. We were dead to God. We had no desire for the things of God. As far as God was concerned, we, we knew the Word, we used the Word in our vocabulary, but as far as our relationship to Him was concerned, He was dead and we were dead. Are you with me? That's what it means to be dead to God. And in this state in which all of us were found, Before we came to Christ, we were dead. That's point one. The first thing Paul wants you to understand is that we were dead in trespass and in sin. Now, in the second place, Paul says that God has now made us alive in Christ. Now, the question is, when did this happen? When did you and I come to be alive in Christ? The answer is this. We came alive the moment we believed upon Him. We were dead, and in that instant that we placed our faith in Him, we came alive in Christ. In other words, we entered into a relationship with God. As far as God was concerned, we were no longer dead. We were now alive, empowered. You see, when you're alive, you have got you can do certain things you can't do when you're dead. One of those things is walk around and the other one is eat, you know? Now, in the third place, Paul says, now, listen you got to hang with me here. Paul says that God has forgiven us all our sins. Now, there are two things I want you to notice about that phrase. The first is this. The Greek verb translated as has forgiven in Colossians 2.13 is in the aorist tense in Greek. It's what we would call the simple past tense. See, now that's got to be locked in your mind. Has forgiven. Has forgiven. It's a simple past tense. What that means is this. The action involved happened at a definable point in the past. That's what the past tense means. That's what the aorist tense in Greek is all about. In other words, what Paul tells us is that at one time in the past, God dealt with sin. How much did he deal with? Paul says he dealt with all sin. And he did so once and for all. And when was this? It was when he died on the cross. Paul says it is when, that is when God forgave all our sin. Now with that in mind, let me ask you a question. Have you ever stopped to consider how much the all in that phrase really is? If it says that God has forgiven us all our sin, how much is all? Well, I heard one of my seminary professors say one time, all includes everything and excludes nothing. Now, that's a pretty good definition. It includes everything and excludes nothing, and my professor was right. But, you know, when a lot of Christians read these words, God has forgiven us all our sins, they make one huge mistake. They think of God's forgiveness only in terms of, of those sins that they committed before they accepted Jesus. I know all of this because I used to do it myself. In fact, in 30 AD, that's a long time ago, Christ died on the cross. December 23rd, 1940, I was born. February 10th, 1969, I trusted in Christ and was born for a second time. And someday in the future, I'm going to have the last day of my life. Okay? Now, that's that's how things break down for me. So let me explain. Sometime around uh, 32 A.D., Christ died for our sins. All of our sins. See, when He died on the cross, what does Paul say? He died for all of them. Are you with me? That's happened in 30 A.D. Then, 1910 years later... On December 23rd, 1940, a guy named Nick Harris was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And 28 years later, on February 10th, 1969, this fellow Nick Harris, now 28 years of age, trusted Jesus Christ and was born again. Now, here's the problem I used to have. I used to think that when I believed upon Jesus Christ as my personal Savior in 1969, that Christ had forgiven all my sins that I had committed from the day I was born See, back here, he forgave all of my sins from the day I was born until the day I trusted in him. Are you with me now? Now, but here's the problem. I thought that his provision on the cross was only for that period of time. Here to here. He forgave me, what, all of my sins between here and here. The question is, is that all of my sins? No, because after 1969, guess what? Your pastor continued to sin. Hello. You see, it never occurred to me that my future sins were forgiven as well. I didn't understand that. I, I couldn't get that through my head. I sensed to somehow or, or, or another, after this, I had to get forgiveness for everything that happened between here and here. Come on. Scott Davis is shaking his head. He understands what I'm saying. Well, this used to bug me. I said, now that I'm saved, what do I do about these sins? And so what I would try to do is I would try to make up for them. And after reading the Bible for a while, I decided I could only be forgiven of these sins by confessing each of them just as soon as I committed them. And so every one of my stupid prayers, and God forgive me of all the sins I've committed today. In other words, I couldn't bring myself to believe that back here, Christ died for all my sins, including these. Come on, talk to me. You see, what I had failed to see at this time was this. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. When Christ died on the cross in 30 A.D., or right around then, every sin... When he died for all my sin, here, every single sin I would ever commit was in the future. I wasn't born yet. You see, what I'm trying to tell you is I realized that every sin I would ever commit from 1969 until the day I died had been paid for when I finally got to thinking it through that if he he took care of these... He took care of those. The sins I will commit tomorrow and the next day are just as forgiven as those I committed between 1940 and 1969. Now, here's the important thing, beloved. In order for God to have forgiven me in 1969, He had to forgive all of my future sins as well, or He would not have accepted me in the first place, right? If He looked up here and said, I can't forgive that. Well, how on earth can He forgive this? Now, here's something else to think about. In 1969, God, who knows the end from the beginning, already knew all of the sins that I would commit between here and here. Am I right? So, He could see these sins as clearly as He could see my past sins. And I found that a lot of people today are falling into the same trap that I used to be in. They've accepted a view of the cross that only looks back on their past sins and doesn't look ahead to their future sins. But beloved, if the cross only points this way, it's only half a cross. Hello? It's got to point in both directions. Well, I thought that was so good, and you guys are just not impressed with that See, when God says He forgave us all our sins, that involves a cross with two arms. One arm that stretches to our past and one arm that reaches into our future. And anything less than that falls pathetically short of God's infinite provision for sin. Now, children, listen to me. I want you to see that all of our sins, past, present, and future, were forgiven when we believed upon Jesus Christ. There are no sins that we will ever commit that He hasn't already forgiven. And not only that, not only has He forgiven all your sins, He's also blotted them out from His memory. If you want to wallow in them, that's your business. But it's not God's, and God doesn't give a rip. Once He's forgotten them, listen, divine forgetfulness is real forgetfulness. See, God's never going to bring your past sin up against you again. Oh, you know me. I've told you a thousand times about my worst sin in my life. Every once in a while, the Holy Spirit has to get after me. and says, what are you doing? I'm walling around, God. He said, I don't know what you're walling around about, but stop it. I don't remember your sins against you. Now, should we ignore our sin? No. I'm not saying this. But here's what I am saying. We must be as forgiving about our sins as God is about His. But on the other hand, we also need to be as forgiving toward others over their sin as God has been toward us. See, this works in all different directions. The failure to do that will hamper our spiritual lives. And that's because there's a cycle involved in sin. You see, when a child of God sins, what happens is this. God doesn't ignore it. He just simply calls His Holy Spirit. He sends His Holy Spirit to convict you. Now, why does He do that? It's because God knows something that we forget, and that is our sins destroy us. What kind of father would He be if He just ignored it? But He doesn't. He sends His Holy Spirit to make us aware that we're engaged in self-destructive behavior. It's not making God less God when you sin. God doesn't sit up there and say, oh, my child sinned and therefore I'm less God. Listen, Chris and I have friends. And they're that way about their kids. They can't see one thing that the kids ever do wrong. I have trouble seeing anything my kids do right. But, you know, they can't can't do that because somehow they think that makes them less parents. Hey, listen, if that's the way you're going to live your life, you're going to be in big trouble because your kids are going to embarrass you and disappoint you. Hello, if you don't know that yet, I'm here to give you the sweet poo-poo. Get ready. It comes to every household on a street near you. There's a cycle involved in sin. The Holy Spirit convicts us. And then what happens is we begin to experience a sense of uneasiness. Right? Then, and and Paul refers to this sense of conviction in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 8 through 11 11, as being a godly sorrow. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, that that when we fail to be everything God made us to be, we we sense that. It makes us uneasy and we, we experience a kind of a godly sorrow. However, when that sorrow is experienced, we should stop and remember what God's Son did for us on the cross. And if we fail to do this, it'll do one of two things. It'll either lead us into a sense of guilt or it'll lead us to be angry. See, and let me tell you about guilt. If you don't deal with guilt, and I want you to understand this is not God doing anything. This is the natural way things are. If you don't deal with With guilt, what happens is it leads to a sense of estrangement. I can tell when my kids are guilty about something. They begin to estrange themselves from it. They don't want to be around because they think Dad sees things which are not as though they were. Listen, when I was in high school, my daddy bought a brand new 1957 Chevy. Chevy. Power pack. It was fast. And I loved to race it. My daddy would always say to me, son, are you racing that car? No, daddy. Lie. I would try to stay away from my dad because I didn't want him asking me that question. It was like he was looking through my head. No, daddy. i flee. One day we went out side of town where there was a flat stretch of road and this kid had his dad's fifty seven Ford. Anybody knows that a Ford fifty seven Ford had the long stroke engine, didn't have that short stroke engine, and you're going to wax it every time in a drag race. We go out and I just eat him up and he stops his car and he jumps out. He takes off the flipper, hubcaps, and jumps out and takes his breather off of his car brake. He says, oh, I just wasn't getting enough air in here. He said, now, let's do it again. Well, the second time, I just watched him worse. And I drove home. Straight home. Do you understand the word I use? Straight home. No detours. Straight home. I got home. Dad standing at the door. He said, You've been racing my car. Son, you've been racing my car. Don't lie to your father. Ah, uh, yeah. Dad, I did. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I didn't need to do it. First question he asked is Did you win? I said, Oh, yeah. Now let me drive for six months. Well, that ended up about six days. My dad was like I used to be, or I guess I am. You know, he'd forget. <laughs> Just like that. My dad said, Dad, how did you know? Dad said, I know things. <laughs> and so my kids grew up saying, Dad knows things. I'll never forget my, my oldest son played hooky from school. One time in his life he played hooky. I drove in. I was going out of town. I pulled into a, a gas station. he get gas. Walked inside. And there is my son standing inside. I said, why aren't you in school? I'll never forget... do you know these things? How do you know these things? Well, listen, let me tell you, God just knows. And it's not that his knowing makes him less God. It's just that God is concerned about you. My son needs to be in school because God knows he needs to learn something. I'm not sure he's ever learned it. You see, and what I'm trying to say to you is that 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 knowingness of God, in our guilt, we back away from Him. We estrange ourselves. God doesn't estrange estrange Himself from us. His arms of of compassion are open to us all the time. It's us backing away from Him, not Him backing away from us. Now, so what we feel is we feel separated from God. Now, I must warn you, just because we experience this sense of estrangement, That doesn't mean that we no longer belong to God. But many people, when they feel estranged, they say, I don't belong to God anymore. God doesn't love me anymore. Therefore, I must not be saved anymore. Now, (laughs) surrendering to this sense of estrangement will damage us. It causes us to imagine that God's rejected us. And the thought that God has rejected us leads to a sense of inferiority before God. So there's the cycle of sin. Guilt, estrangement, and finally, inferiority. So how can this syndrome of sin, guilt, and estrangement be broken? Especially since we know so well that we don't stop sinning. Not even after we become believers. So how can we keep from developing that awful sense of guilt which leads to estrangement from God? Here's the solution. When I knowingly sin, I confess my sins. Now listen, this is not for God. I don't confess my sins for God's sake. I confess my sins for my sake. I get them out there so I can look at them and understand what they're doing to me. You know, the word translated as confess in that verse. We confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word confess comes from combining two Greek words. The word is homo, which means same. You know, we talk about homosexuals, that's two persons of the same sex. That's that word same. Logio, to speak about. Logio. And, or to say something. Now, these two words together mean this. To say the same thing about something that someone else says about it. In this case, when I've sinned, I must say the same thing about my sins that God says about that sin. And what God says about it is that it makes me less than He has called me to be. I'm missing the mark of my life. God's not mad at me. He's not disowning me. He's simply saying, you're being less than the best. You're missing the mark. Now, what does God say about my sin? First of all, He says that my sin really is sin. That it's going to cause me to separate myself. Now, are you listening to what I'm saying? It's going to cause me to separate myself from Him. He's not going to separate Himself from me. I'm going to separate myself from Him. So the first thing, the first step is to agree with God that the thing I just did was sin. I don't make excuses for myself. I don't try to cover it. I openly admit that it's sin. And if I know I'm already forgiven, are you with me? If I know that I'm already forgiven, then I'm not afraid to come to God and be honest with Him about what I've done or failed to do. In the second place, God says that He's forgiven all my sins, and that includes the one I just committed, if He's forgiven all of my sins. So when I sin, I look back to the cross of Jesus and there I remind myself of the great fact of my forgiveness which He's purchased. By His redemption, He purchased for me forgiveness forever. Oh, I'm loving this. I don't know if you are, but I am loving this. See, when I sin, I look back to the cross. And then I thank Him for the truth that in His sight, all of my sin is forgiven. I thank Him that Jesus has already suffered and died to pay the penalty for that sin. And then in the third place, out of a sense of appreciation for that great forgiveness, I accept God's gift gratefully. I determine to turn away from that which makes me estranged from Him. And I begin to focus consciously upon the Lord Jesus Christ, drawing upon His Holy Spirit who is indwelling me. You see... You can't stop yourself from sinning. Hello? Listen to pastor. I am an expert. You cannot stop yourself from sinning, but the Holy Spirit who lives within you can empower you to overcome sin. Thank you. Thank you. See, I love it when you talk to me. It just turns me on. I might preach another hour now. (laughs) The point I'm trying to make this morning is this. There's no longer any reason for us to focus on the sin in our lives. The redemptive work of Christ on the cross has dealt with your sins. Past, present, and future. You see, after you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, your sin is never going to be brought up against you ever again. You're going to stand before God. And God's going to say, wow, look at my kid. This kid is perfected by sight. You're going to say, God, have you forgotten that I went to jail? I didn't, but some of you here may have. I don't remember that. Well, God, don't you remember I was divorced? No, I don't remember that. God, don't you remember I took something that didn't belong to him? No, I don't remember that. God forgives and then He forgets. The redemptive work of Christ has dealt with our sin. Now you may be wondering this. If sin is no longer an issue with God, then what should my attitude be towards sin when I find it coming into my daily existence? First of all, as I've already said, it should be confessed and we should appropriate God's forgiveness. But if we refuse to agree with God that what we did was sin, then He will keep putting His finger on the sin Until we make an issue of it. See, it's not an issue with God. God wants it to be an issue with us. Why? Because it's killing us. You see, He'll do that until we admit that what we did was a sin and claim His forgiveness. Now, if we fail to agree with God that we've sinned, when He says that we have, then He'll be forced to disappoint us. But even that is not done in anger. See, God doesn't discipline us because He's mad at us. Are you with me? How many of you have felt like you had to swatch your baby? Yeah. Pat it on the hind. You hate it. You don't like that. None of us want to do that. God doesn't like it either. But you see, let me tell you something about the word discipline in the Bible. It means the same thing as to train. What God does is He takes us and trains us in ways that keep us from falling into the same hole over and over and over again. God's discipline is always looking forward, and that's why it's comparable to training. The OU football team doesn't go out there day after day on that field and go through their series of plays because they think it looks good and makes the students admire them. Joe. I saw on TV this week you being interviewed. That was really a good interview they did on Channel 4. And they showed Joe in the Southern California football game making the most unbelievable punt return I've ever seen. It would have been a touchdown if it hadn't been for one of the Selman brothers tackling him. But Joe, you had to be disciplined to do what you were coached to do. Why? Because the coach hated you? Did he make you run laps? Did he make you do all those things? Did your father do all those things? No, it was because he loved you. He was training you to be the best you could be. That's what God's discipline is about. It's training us to be what he made us to become. Not because he hates us. Everyone wants not to say to me, well, Pastor, God took away my car. God took away my job. God took away... That's not what God does. That's not the God I serve. See, when God God sees one of His children constantly falling under the power of temptation, God will begin to train that person and discipline them. He does that so the person will learn to depend upon Him in the future. But when God has to discipline us, His focus is not so much on our sins. See, God's not focusing on our sins. He's focusing upon what it is He wants to make us into. Am I getting, am I getting this through? I I know it worries some people when they hear that our sins are no longer an issue with God. They worry because they wonder what will motivate people to keep their lives in line if they aren't worried about God coming down on them for their sins. Well, I can't find any verses of scripture that validates worrying about one's sin. I don't know of one place to go that tells you worry about your sin. See, that's not a proper motivation for loving God. But there's a wide variety of verses that teach us that God is not alienated from us anymore and that we're His children and all He requires of us is to walk by faith so that we won't fulfill the lusts of our sinful bodies. Are are you with me? If you're walking in faith, if the Holy Spirit is indwelling you, then... It's going to take care of your sin. You don't have to sit around all the time and think about it. You see, it's, it's easy to walk by faith when you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're forgiven. You're no longer afraid to be honest with God if you know that He's not carrying a club or just waiting for you to sin so that He can get even with you. Yeah, i got to do it. When I was being raised in the church that I was raised in, We sang a song every Sunday morning. Debbie, I bet you sang this song in your church. Watching you, watching you, every day in the course you pursue. Watching you, watching you. There's an all-seeing eye. Watching you. And my view of God was this guy with this long gray beard with a cyclopean eye focused on me, watching me every moment of my life, and every, every mistake I made, which was many, voluminous. God is saying, gotcha, you little devil. See, that was my view of God. You have trouble loving a God like that. See, you can't love and serve God Unless you understand that his attitude toward you is one of complete love and acceptance. Isn't it great to know that you're forgiven? This is what I hope will happen. I hope you'll let the realization of what I've just said cause you to forgive yourself for that thing which you've been holding in your conscience. Listen, if God's forgiven, you forgive yourself. Get rid of that. You got failures in your past? Oh, some pretty good guys had failures in the past. Simon Peter. David. I can tell you one thing. There's not a one of you has ever did what David did. You know, he com- he combined murder and adultery and you know, about 50 other things. Lies. Oh my gosh, yes, he lied. Mm-hmm. Now, But if you do that, let me tell you what it'll do. If if you forgive you, then you can forgive others toward whom you've been harboring bitterness and unforgiveness. You see, that's the only way to experience the freedom that comes from forgiveness.
1: Forgive. Why? Because you are forgiven.
2: It's much easier for me to forgive when I've been forgiven. And I have. Well, that's the teaching for today. How'd that go down? A little bit of honey makes the vinegar go down. Is that like a little bit of sugar?
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. If you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to connect with Ariel Ministries on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to our email list at arielministries.com. That's Ariel spelled A-R-I-E-L. We look forward to keeping you updated on upcoming episodes and projects. If you would like to support the missional efforts of Ariel Ministries in Tharaka, Kenya with Each One Feed One, We'd like to remind you that 10% of all donations to Aerial Ministries will support this missional effort. Visit arielministries.com slash give for online donations and other methods of giving. To learn more about the Tharaka mission, you can visit arielministries.com slash missions. You can also listen to episode 26 for a deeper dive into how our relationship with Each One Feed One and the McCarter family started over 35 years ago, where we are today, and where we're headed in the future.